There's this thing called the ADAC structure, right? That's the only book you need for now, for starters. And then just write. And a lot of times I realize with writers, they're perfectionists. So they'll work on the same script for a year, two years, five years, 10 years, whatever. And they won't work on anything new. But my advice would just be write a script, move on, write a script, move on, write a script, move on. And then at the time, like, so this is another thing too in the industry is if someone's like, oh, I really want a script on, you know, bodybuilding. Be like, oh, cool. I wrote, I wrote one like four years ago and be like, you could bring it up, mention it. And then if they really like it, you can go back, revise it, fine tune it and send it in. But a lot of thing with writers is they'll send like their little coup de grace, right? Their whole life story into one. They're obsessed about it. They're just so into it, like their heart and souls into it. And then they pitch it and no one's interested and then they give up and they're like, Oh, this is the greatest story in the world and no one's interested. So they just stop. But it's like, you just need to keep writing and writing, right? Cause you're only going to get better. And whatever story you thought was the best, there's probably a better one coming up. Welcome to the Transition Drill Podcast. As members of the first responder and military communities, we need to be planning today for our transition from these careers. Because unfortunately, as many have experienced, these careers can tell us the ride is over before we're ready for it to be done. My name is Paul Pantani and I've spent the past 30 years in law enforcement, working in various assignments and promoting through the ranks of leadership. With the help of my guests, who like you are either former or current military members or first responders, the goal of this podcast is to provide you with information to help you in your planning. But just as important, we can't forget to take care of ourselves today. So I'm also going to have guests who are going to talk about how to be more physically and mentally fit. Before we get into this week's guest, I need a few favors because I can't grow this without your help. Please like, follow, and subscribe to the podcast. I also need your assistance getting the word out. If you enjoy the podcast, please spread the word to anyone you think will enjoy it also. But what I need the most is your feedback and input. Let me know what you like, what you don't like, and any suggestions you have for guest selection. Please go to the podcast webpage at transitiondrillpodcast.com and send me a direct message. Also, if you'd leave me a rating and any comments on iTunes, I would truly appreciate it. Thank you. Joining me in this episode is Matthew Tarudis. Matthew had a difficult childhood to say the least. So after high school, he wasn't making the best life choices. Some local police officers, let's call it encouraged him, and he decided to join the Navy in 2010. He went in with a special forces contract, but suffered a collapsed lung during Hell Week. Matthew was dropped from the training and finished his enlistment aboard the John C. Stennis, which included two deployments to the Persian Gulf. As many do, Matthew struggled after leaving the military. He gave fitness training a go, but his heart just wasn't in it. Matthew's true passion is writing, so he decided to go to college. He graduated in 2019 with degrees in screenwriting and film production. After graduation, he got a job working for Tyra Banks as the creative lead for her series Model Lamp. Unfortunately, because of the COVID pandemic, everyone was let go in 2020. Today, Matthew owns his own production company. He continues to write for clients and creates his own music. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's get into episode 37. Are you still in the fitness industry? Oh, not really. Not at all. But you did do a fitness competition at some point. Yeah, yeah. I did that actually right when I got out of the military, essentially. What what year was that? Um, I competed in 2017. I got out in 2014. But my last few months in the Navy, actually my whole time in the Navy was very fitness oriented. I was in the special forces training and then that was just insane. So I kept a really active lifestyle. And then my last few months in the Navy, I actually took um, my credentials to be a certified personal trainer. So then I got out and I did personal training. And then obviously the next step from there is everyone wants you to compete. So then I did a competition. Um, I started training, I think... 
2016, I mean, I was getting bigger and bigger and better, but starting 2016, I really buckled down, competed in 2017, and that was it for me. It was just so taxing, so exhausting. Just too much on your life to... Yeah, I mean, I took on a lot at that time. I was, um, you know, I just got out of the military. I was the president of the student veterans organization in my college. I had two majors, so screenwriting and film production, which are both insanely hard. Um, and then that, so I couldn't really have a social life. I couldn't really drink. Yeah. It was just, all I was doing is cooking, eating and working out and then homework and then sleeping. And I was just not a happy person at all. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I made a friend that whole year. That was rough. And more importantly though, how many friends did you lose that year? Not being all able to do anything. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> all of them. Yeah. Lost my girlfriend. She actually broke up with me on the day of the competition. So that says a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like, Hey, Ooh. thanks. I, I kind of need to, you know, concentrate on this competition. Thanks for, you know, dropping me right at the last minute. That's what I said. And then it just went downhill from there. Yep. Oof. Rough times. <laughs> yeah. But as far as the, the training aspect mm -hmm. with you being a trainer, you don't no longer involved in that? No. Um, I, I don't know. For me, it was, it's hard for me to get into it because I don't know. I have to have someone who's really actually dedicated for me to take them seriously. And a lot of time in the industry, they want to push things on people who are like half ass. They're half in, half out. And then they don't really get the results they want. And then they blame you. So it's like, I don't know. I just required a very dedicated person for me to actually want to be a personal trainer. So obviously we're going to talk about your military career mm -hmm. and you also did the student veterans association. So what school was that through? Uh, Loyola Marymount University. And yeah. did they have a robust student veterans program when you went there? Oh, no, not at all, actually. It was like barely anything. It was, uh, yeah, I made a, I did a lot with that organization because when I showed up, they said there was a student veterans organization, but all it was is a bunch of guys who had a group chat who used to drink all the time. And so we didn't have priority registration. We didn't really have any benefits. The school didn't really acknowledge us. So, yeah, I just, well, still am a little bit like overly ambitious. And so I got us, what, I was president from 2016 to 2019. Actually, no, I got there 2016. So 2017 to 2019, I was president. And I got us funding. I got us merchandise, which is yeah, the least important. <laughs> I got us priority registration. I talked to the housing. So they offered housing for veterans who really needed it. Um, and then I'll, we just were way more acknowledged by the, you know, higher ups in the industry. Did you the, keep your hand in that at all? Um, I mean, when I got out, I got to a week after I graduated school, I had an extremely stressful job. So it's hard for me to juggle like everything else, but um, I guess, no, I've not, yeah. <laughs> I have not had a hand in it, but, um, no, it was great. I did, um, conferences. There's like student veterans organizations of America. So I used to travel and then go to those conferences and bring back their information to us. And then this is great. This is actually, as soon as you mentioned the podcast, I did Like I would, I didn't even ask questions. I was like, all right, I'm sold because the hardest thing for all these veterans was, you know, assimilating to the culture of a private school in Los Angeles from the military. So you got these kids who are in a bubble, have had everything given to them in life and then veterans. So it's like, not only were we not acknowledged, but like we couldn't fit in, it was impossible. And so we did a lot with um, transitional assistance and a lot with mental health. So I remember we did a few meetings with um, 
the mental health organizations on campus and did speeches with them too. So I tried to stay very involved in that. And how many years were you involved? Uh, with the college or the military? The, the student or the college and the student veterans group. Um, I would say I was, well, I was president for two years where I was very active. Obviously I had to be. And then before that, I was still active on day one. I mean, I showed up to orientation before school even started and this kid approached me and he said, Hey, are you a veteran? I was like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, so then he was a veteran and we became friends, but, um, and then, yeah. And then I got introduced to everyone, but there wasn't much veteranish things, you know, it was like, yeah, it was, it was like very loosely, poorly run and organized. So, but you guys were able to get it to where it was at least running better by the time you stepped away from it. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. There's a lot more, um, I guess rules in place, like structure, I should say for the veterans. Was there a big veteran community at Loyola Marymount? Not at all. See, that was another thing too, is we had probably 15 active members, which is the highest it's ever been since the school started. Right. Um, and then there was probably like, I think 30 veterans total, but a lot of people didn't want to admit they were veterans because of the school. Right. It's like very liberal and everyone's kind of anti. So, um, yeah, it's hard for them to even acknowledge their service. That's another thing. With being, what, what drew you to Loyola Marymount? What were, what was your ultimate goal oh, with it? So, I got out of the military and I, I just was like looking at jobs. I actually was going to run my own gym. Um, and then a bunch of bullshit happened to my ex-wife. So another thing, I'm a statistic, <laughs> right? I was in the military. I got divorced like everyone else. Um, and then lost a bunch of money. So then I was looking at business majors and stuff like that. And it just, it was like depressing looking at these things. And then I saw a major that said like screenwriting and film production. And I always thought that was like a rich person hobby. I was like, oh, that's like a dream come true, but I didn't know it's an actual major. And then this, like uh, the VA will fund it. So I was like, shoot, might as well look into it. So I remember I, I like barely graduated high school. It was bad, like barely graduated. And then I went back to college and literally straight A's, like 4.0. I was killing all my classes because I was so dedicated. I wanted to get into film school. And they literally said that getting into film school in LA was harder to, um, than getting into like business at Harvard. So I was like, I was like, all right, whatever. Challenge accepted. You know, so, it's not like a bunch of people in LA want to get into the movie industry. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Yeah. It's very niche, very niche. Um, so I, yeah, I, for a year straight, it was the summer of 2015 to the summer of 2016 full-time units for a straight year, knocked out all my credentials and I applied to the top five film schools in America, essentially. So like New York, UCLA, USC, Loyola, Chapman. Oh, there's probably another one. And I got denied from all of them. <laughs> and I was like, wow, like that sucks, you know? So I was like, what else could I possibly have done? You know, I had amazing letters of recommendation from, you know, top military leaders and um, doctors and all this stuff. And I was, I was just really like, upset about the situation. But then Loyola wrote me and they're like, Hey, we can't accept you for film production. We can accept you for screenwriting. And I was like, that's kind of the same thing, right? Like I'm more into writing than I am the technical stuff. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll, I'll try it out. So I went there. Um, and then after a semester, I was just haggling all the people in the registrar's office and everything until I got the double major of film production. So I was able to hustle my way in there. Um, and then, yeah, double majored. So that was crazy. Yeah. Let's take a step backwards. You mentioned you weren't a good high school student. So Oof, yeah. where did you grow up? 
I'm kind of here, actually. So Marietta Menifee. Um, but actually, it's a really hard question. I grew up everywhere. <laughs> I was like born in Long Beach. My parents moved every three years. So every time I started to fit in, we were uprooted and took off somewhere else. What caused uh, the, the frequent moves? I think it was just jobs, finding jobs. Uh, my mom was going to school full time. My dad was supporting her and three, four kids. Yeah, four kids. Uh, we even lived in Wisconsin for four years. Um, came back. I did first year and a half of high school in San Jacinto. And then I came to Menifee and finished high school there. Um, yeah, but all over the place. Yeah. Were you thinking the military when you were a kid? No, but um, yeah, it was like, I thought of it. I mean, I remember in middle school, I had a pamphlet. There's like these military people that showed up and I was like obsessed with the Navy SEALs. And I was like, yeah, I was like, if I ever joined, I'd be, I'd want to be like the best of the best. Right. So high school happened. And then like, yeah, like it was just kind of a really bad time for me. Um, my sister passed away. She was a year younger than me. So I was 17. She's 16. It was two weeks before my 18th birthday, like a month before I graduated high school. So she passed away and it like devastated me. And then a year later, my parents took off to New Mexico and I was just like left in, you know, Menifee pretty much defend for myself at like 19. So not only was I just like completely devastated, you know, I was just drinking a lot, doing a lot of drugs. I was getting in a lot of trouble. And so it was just really bad. I remember I was talking to cops on a regular basis and um, two of them were just like, yo, like join the military. Just seriously, like get out of here. Like you're not doing any favors for yourself. So I was like, all right, you know, like thought about it. So then went to the Navy's office and um, I was like, I want to be a Navy SEAL. And they're like, all right, good luck. So does everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Like, here's the list of uh, requirements. So I actually killed it. I um, went to like the tryouts and everything. So that was fun. And then I got a contract. Um, and then I think like six months after I got the contract, I went to boot camp, and then um, did that. But it literally saved my life. Like I was just talking to a friend. I just moved back to Menifee in uh, February. And I was just talking to about a friend of, yeah, who hung out with me at the time. And like, literally like four of our friends died. And I mean, this is a small friend group, like a 10 people, like four of them died from like drug overdose. A few of them are in jail. Um, one of them had this huge lawsuit against them for like assault. And then no one's heard from them since. So I'm like, it literally saved my life, you know? So yeah, it was like the, if nothing else just got you out of this environment. Yes. Yes. It was uh, well, so much more than that. You know, it, um, it got me out of, I guess these horrible habits, it gave me structure. And then it also taught me, I think my thing too was like, I didn't really have a lot of self-confidence. Like growing up, I was, I don't know. I just never felt like I was good enough. And no matter how hard I tried, I'd never, you know, be up there with anyone else. So I kind of like just doubted myself and didn't even try. So then as I'm in the SEAL training, competing with like some of the top athletes in the world, you know, like, and thriving, I was like, oh, and then they teach you mental strength and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, I'm like, honestly, way mentally stronger than most of these people. Like I've had to witness like finding my sister dead in her room and like being kicked out after that. And just like all sorts of just, I don't know, it was a very difficult childhood. So after that, it, it's, it's kind of, I don't know. I just always believed that I could do anything I wanted to. So it was like the military literally was the thing that gave me that. Did you have military in your family? Nope, not at all. Yeah. And how old were you when you went into the military? I was 20. Yeah. I tried to make it on my own without the military, but it was, yeah. 
it was horrible because my mom just graduated um, college. So she became a physician's assistant. She's making great money. My dad was a contractor. He's making great money. And then um, I guess after the death of my sister, they kind of just like fell apart, lost everything. And then they took off. And it sucked because I was like, oh, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to like do the best I can for myself at a job. But then at the school, they're like, oh, yeah, since you're 18, you can't really file independently until you're like 21, I think. And so they're like, the the fact that your parents made this much money is you can't get any financial aid. So then I'm like homeless. I can't get financial aid. I can't go to school. And then like even so, I, I could only get into one class because I didn't have any like priority. And so I was like, OK, so it's impossible for me to go to school. I was working a um, full-time job at Sam's Club and I had to have three roommates for a two-bedroom uh, apartment. I was like, that sucks. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a cell phone. Ugh, I was like, yeah, like, I need. So your help. prospects for, for your future don't sound like they were very promising. <laughs> there was no promise <laughs> at all for a future. You were going to school. What were you studying at that time? Um, that, so... Believe it or not, I actually wanted to be an English teacher because I always appreciated, I was just really good at writing and it's actually what I did growing up. It's like, I didn't really have friends because we kept moving. So I just always wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. So there was a, a part, I think it was right after my sister died. I never wanted to go to college. It was never, I like openly told everyone I hated college. I would never do it. And then, I don't know, after my sister died, I was like, hey, I'm going to pursue writing. Uh, I'll be an English teacher just because I feel like you know, a lot of the people in my life who've had a good impact on me were English teachers. You know, they would pull me aside and tell me like they liked my things. And I don't know, it was like the only confidence I got. So did the, did the interest in writing come by accident or was there somebody in your life that kind of pushed you that way? Well, that's a good question. Um, the interest in writing. So I, I remember it really started when I moved back from Wisconsin to California and I, I went to Santa Cena and I'm like, I'm not joking. It was horrible. Like our bus would get pulled over by cars. The windows would get punched out. Um, I got jumped three times freshman year and I was broke, right? I had nothing except for like a little iPod shuffle. I got that stolen. I had a bike that stolen. Um, just horrible. I don't think I hung out with one person outside of school my whole freshman year. And it was so depressing, so miserable. And I couldn't talk to my mom about it because she was going to school full time. My dad was working full time. They didn't want to hear it. They were going through their own problems. So literally my only friend in the world was my younger sister. So her and I were just like, yeah, she was literally the only reason I got through anything. But um, I didn't want to admit this to my friends in Wisconsin. And I was almost ashamed. I was like, this is sad. Like I went from having friends and being cool to being jumped and being a joke essentially. And so I used to write just random stories about this like crazy life I live and just like try to impress them and like make up stories. It sounds so sad, but this is what happened. So then I remember I wrote like, yeah. And I was just like really into it. I was like, wow, I can literally write whatever life I want. And so subconsciously I didn't realize that I was just doing it to not look stupid for my friends. And then, um, after my sister died. So this is uh very interesting is my mom wanted to see a medium. She was like, oh, and I was like, all right, well, I was like, any chance I can, you know, because I didn't get to say bye, whatever. So I went with my sister, my older sister, and my mom, and we saw this medium. And I was the closest one of our whole family to my sister. She was like my best friend. We, we'd go to parties together, like high school parties. <laughs> yeah. how, how close were you in age? A year and a half. Yeah, so she was just a grade younger. So then the medium looks at me. He's like, and this is real simple. He's just like, oh, and she's just, 
she wants to let you know to like, don't stop writing, keep writing. And then he like moved on. But it's interesting because no one ever knew I wrote except for her. And like, I used to even write songs and like force her to listen and sing it in front of her and be like, give me some feedback, you know? So after that, I was like, oh shoot, like, you know, it's the one thing that, you know, gives me confidence. One thing that helps. And I was like, and then hearing that, I'm like, oh shoot. Okay, done. Like I'll keep writing. Yeah. And then I realized even now it's like, um, any moment in my life where I needed help, I feel like I got saved from writing, like literally screenwriting into college when I got accepted into nothing. Right. And then afterwards I was, um, I got the job with Tyra Banks right out of high school, but I was actually an executive assistant to start. And I was just getting, right out of high school, or right out of college. Sorry, college. Correct. And then, yeah, I got a job as an ex- executive assistant and I was just going to use that to fund my writing. And, um, then literally like four, four or five weeks into working with Tyra, I was in a meeting with her and Marvel comics, which is kind of a big deal, right? <laughs> yeah. Just a little. Yeah. And she's like running through this story about like what she wants for a comic book. And I was like, I was like, all right, you need character development here. I was like, you need this, you need this. And I was just kind of like, kind of guiding her to make the story make sense to where, you know, just kind of salvage it a little bit. And then right after the meeting, I'm not even joking. She was like, She's like, do you, like, how do you know how to write? I was like, I literally went to school for writing. Like it's, I know everything you need to know about story. And then like five minutes after that, she had one of her, um, the like lead producer of her production company come up to me. She's like, Hey, this is your new job title. This is what you're going to be doing now. And so I was in charge. Thanks of the, boss. <laughs> literally, I was in charge of the whole creative operation of model land, which is like her huge, uh, I guess she's spent like, or I guess I know, um, she spent 10 years, like thinking about it, developing it. And then we were putting it together. So I had to like take all of this thoughts, Tyra's crazy, wonderful thoughts and organize them. And uh, yeah, that's what I did for a year. And um, yeah, that's great too. But then even in, oh God. I was going to say, let's go back to going in the military. So how old were you? You went in when you were 20. What year is this? Oh God. Um, 2010. It was December, 2010 when I went in. And you were in the pipeline for special forces. Oh, oh yeah. What ended up happening with that? Oof. So, <laughs> so boot camp was cool. Um, then there's says cool. no one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, cool as in it was winter in Chicago. So, <laughs> um, so cool is an understatement. Yeah. It was all right. So it was better than I guess my, my living situation. So I, I couldn't hate on that. First three months was boot camp. Um, then there's stuff called Bud's Prep, which let me tell you was the most fun I've ever had in my life. <laughs> so yeah, right out of boot camp, you're in Chicago, and then you get Olympic swim coaches, run coaches, m- mental health coaches, all this stuff. They give you snack packs. Like you're literally just a trained athlete. It's incredible. So then we just got all jacked, confidence soared. You know, it was it wasn't so um, strict like you know boot camp. So it was great. And then they send you to SEAL training, <laughs> which is like a beat down. So everything you gain, they just like tear <laughs> you up. So the thing that sucks about that is I was doing well, my first class, you know, with all my friends. And then I got pneumonia. So I was like, I would say like upper third uh, physically. And then I remember my last run with that class, I was the very last one to cross the finish line. I was like, okay, something's not right. Get checked out. All right, cool. I got pneumonia. I think they gave me like five days of rest, which is not a lot for pneumonia. <laughs> so then I got jumped into the next class. So it's like, how, how much, 
like five, six weeks of getting beat down just for a week off just to redo it. And you know, it's like, it wears you out. So then I went through it again, hit hell week. And then I remember at one point I felt like someone was like ripping these muscles out of my back and I couldn't, I couldn't even talk. And I was just like, like literally. This isn't normal. Yeah. I was like, okay, like this really hurts. Like I literally feel like I broke something. So they sent me to get an x-ray um, and they're like, oh, you're good. Um, but like, you're done with the program. I was like, okay. And at the time it's like so much pain that I don't really care. I was just like, what was the injury? Oh, hold on. Okay. <laughs> so that I remember, I forget you're a writer and a storyteller. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah it's a little. Yeah. So then I just remember like, they didn't really think anything was wrong. So I started taking just pain pills from anyone. And for, I, I swear like a week straight, I blacked out. I bought a car in this time. I don't remember it. Uh, I was married too, which helps. So she's helping me out with everything. But I remember every time at like um, morning muster, I was just, I couldn't even stand up straight. I was like falling asleep and I couldn't talk out a notepad. I was writing them. And so for a week straight, they sent me to the chiropractor. But I do remember this is I went in and this lady had me lay down. She's a lieutenant commander. So like a, a O2 and uh, <laughs> no, sorry. Yeah. She was an O2 and not a lieutenant commander. I forget my ranks. And so she like looked at my, my ribs and she's like, oh yeah, your left rib cage is sticking out or your right sticking out more than your left. So she's like, go to the chiropractor. Like, All right, cool. So for five days straight, I saw this chiropractor and it was the most painful thing in my life. Like, I remember I'll just be waiting for him every morning and people would come up to me and be like, are you okay? Like, do you need anything? I'm like, no, I'm good. So I lived like this for a week. And then after a week, the chiropractor gave me an x-ray and I just remember hearing the guy um, <laughs> running the operation. He was like, oh shit. And I was like, and it was kind of nice. That's exactly what you want to hear right? in a medical office. No, it was nice. Cause I'm like, finally acknowledgement, <laughs> right? Like, thank God. So then he like looks at me and he like looks back and then I just hear ambulances and I was like, oh, thank God. So then they rushed me um, to the hospital and apparently like the pleura, the sac around my lung filled with fluid to like where it got to a liter and a half. And I guess like a teaspoon could kill you. Yeah. So it was bad. So I remember just showing up and I was like a test experiment at Balboa. I showed up and there was like a whole team. Everyone was just like watching me, just like fascinated. They're like, how are you talking? How are you laughing? I'm like, I'm just happy to be finally getting some help. Like, so then after that, um, I was in the hospital for like a week and then had like three months off, which was miserable. So much pain. Um, did yeah. the, is it just a matter of draining the fluid or does the fluid have to dissolve or evaporate on its own? Oh God. So I had a, I had a vacuum, but the way the doctor was telling me, he, he had to go in, I'll show you the scars actually. They're still there. See, right. So he had to go in and he said he was like peeling like an orange. Like the bacteria was so bad. He had to like peel it off. And now I'm, what caused this specific injury? I'm assuming pneumonia just wasn't healed. But then I remember um, a few days before hell week, literally like two days before hell week um we're doing this drown proofing exercise and <laughs> and so you have to swim you're already drowning because your lungs were filled with liquid literally you have to swim down to 15 feet underwater and then tie knots and of course i got like the most difficult instructor and it sucks because i was in two lines before him then i got moved and then i got moved again so it was just like fate had it that i was gonna get fucked over by this guy essentially and so i was doing well but the thing is, is like, you can't really show weakness. Otherwise they eat it up. Mm -hmm. So even if you're drowning, you got to kind of like keep your composure. So I just remember there's like a point you tie the knot and he gives you permission to go up. So I was like this, give me permission to go up. And he's just sat there like this. I was like, all right, just waiting. 
trying not to drown. And then finally he put his thumb up. And I guess as soon as I kicked off, I passed out and then I sank. So I woke up and he was slapping me on the side of the pool. And then I started coughing up blood. I was like, oh, this can't be good. So then they asked me if I wanted to get rolled back again before Hell Week. And I was like, dude, no, I'm good. Which looking back. But this was before the diagnosis of the issue with mm-hmm. the lungs. This is the last thing I could think of before I ended up in the emergency room. So I think maybe it was just the pneumonia and that. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not <laughs> a doctor. So yeah, it, was, it could have been honestly anything. There's just, that training is just insane. It's crazy. Barring the medical issues, mm-hmm. when you went in, were you thinking this was going to be your career? You were going to do this for the rest of your life? Or was it just a short-term idea for you? That's a good question. I did have doubts. I remember I thought a lot of it. Um, I was, you know, the more, well, it was also a very exciting time because I think the day I got into the Navy was when um, Hussein was captured. And then the day I started special force training, like in Coronado was when Osama got killed. So it was like that window was like, it was the highlight of SEALs, right? And so I really wanted it, but I don't think, I think I probably would have done six years. I think so. Yeah. So how many years total did you do? Four. So I had a contract for six, but then they felt bad for me because my lung dropped two, which is. So now do you have lingering or, or after effects of that injury? Yeah. So my lung, because of all the scarring and everything, it's not able to fully, I don't know. So they said it's at 70% capacity which I mean is okay. But honestly, it's like after that, just my personality, they were like, oh, you're never going to be in as great a shape again, blah, blah, blah. I was like, all right. Bet. So I did triathlons, marathons. Like I did, I was a sponsored obstacle course racer for a minute um, before I transitioned into bodybuilding. So I was just like trying to do everything fitness I could. So yeah, I'm good, but on paper, you have limited capability. Yeah, but I know like every time I take a deep breath, I can still feel it. It pinches. Like there's a certain point where it just like kind of twinges. So that's fun. But. So four years into the military, when did you start thinking about getting out? I mean, did Ooh. you knew or did you know that you were only going to end up doing four as opposed to the six or did they just lop off two years at the back end? Well, here's where it got, here's where I got bad. So then I'm, I have three months off, just kind of lost the reason I went into the military, right? So I was like, all right, that really sucks. It's depressing. I started getting fat just because I was in bed rest. You know, I wasn't a professional athlete anymore. And then they're like, all right, we can offer you the next best thing is rescue swimmer. I was like, all right, that could be cool. You know, it's like still considered special forces. And this way I'm helping people rather than like killing them. You know, I was like, all right, that sounds good. So I went to Pensacola and these trainers were huge dicks dude like way worse because i feel like they're all jaded because they're not seals and then when you get people who try to be seals who try to be rescue swimmers they hate them even more so i just got all this harassment and it was it was like way worse it was just not fun and i remember i'm like okay i really don't want to do this but now i got to prove a point and then after three months of that training i got pulled into the office and they're like hey we didn't know you had a lung surgery and they're like so you can't be in this program and i was like what are you talking about like you guys literally went into the hospital and offered me this program, like as I was laying in the bed in the hospital. So then, uh, 
Yeah. So then they dropped me from that and they're like, oh yeah, since you dropped from two programs, you no longer get a choice or say in anything you do. I was like, okay, great. So then at that time they were like, hey, you know what? We can, uh, you can get out of the military. And they're like, but you'll have no benefits or anything. So I'm like, here I am, you know, like what, 21. Yeah. Um, yeah. Almost. So 22. you're not even a year into your service time yet. No. Yeah. I was, well, at this point. Yeah. Cause I think I went to Pensacola in like after a year. So, cause my surgery was in August. September. Yeah. Yeah. So I started, this was like March, February. So a little over a year. And then, uh, I thought about it, but I'm like, dude, I'm like 20, almost 22. And now I'm like broken, damaged goods. And I would have nothing to show for it except for some scars. I was like, no, nah, I'm going to finish. So then they sent me to um, Seattle, Washington as undesignated, which means you don't have a job. <laughs> and they just like wherever, wherever they need you. Yeah. You know, just like the jobs that everyone quits, you know, that doesn't. Yeah. So then, yeah, I worked on the USS John C. Stennis for the next two, two and a half years. Um, and that was cool. But I know at that point, when I was on that boat, I was like, just keep your head down, do your job, don't make enemies, and then just get out. So at this point, you've already resigned yourself. When when my exit day comes, I'm gone. I'm not I'm not looking for any longer or any reenlistments. No. Um, yeah, I was kind of jaded. Just the fact that how I was treated, you know, I literally almost died from, you know, someone couldn't do their job. And then... uh the whole Pensacola incident, it's like three months of my life of like hard training. You know, this is training that most people don't make who try and I'm going through it when I shouldn't even have been starting because someone oversaw my surgery, which doesn't make sense. So I was just kind of like, dude, like, I don't know. I just felt, I just kind of felt like a number and no one actually cared. And it was just like, I was like, this isn't the environment I want or anything. It's not like a brotherhood. Because in the SEALs, um, it's literally a brotherhood. So, How'd you find the time, well, your headspace, mental space, mm -hmm. with all of these changes and stuff going on? I know you said you always kind of revert back to writing. Did you keep writing even through your entire time in the Navy? Um, that's interesting because after surgery, no. And then... During, uh, I didn't start writing again, actually, until I was on my first deployment with the Stennis. So literally two weeks, actually, no, four days. I remember I pulled into the Stennis, checked in, and then three days later, we went on deployment. It was just insane. So um, at that point, yeah, I started writing again. And, you know, that's because you had a lot of like downtime. There'd be like, a bunch of work, but then you'd have to sit there and wait. And then, a, yeah. What so, kind of writing were you doing? This, I was just documenting like the crazy stuff that happened from, yeah, 2008 to 2010, just like all the fights I was getting into and just like how insane it was. Just kind of like, I don't know, like a documentary. Did you have kind of an end goal of what you thought you might be able to take your writing and make it become? Um, no, actually this, I was just writing for the sake of my memory almost just like almost like a reflection of like, yeah, this is really bad, but you overcame it. So if you ever need a reminder, here it is. Yeah. But I remember, yeah, it was in college and they always preach like, write what you know, write what you know, write what you know. And I attempted, I attempted to take that and turn it into a TV show. And this was my earlier years. And I just got grilled and roasted and like, by all these kids who 
you know, have never had adversity in their lives. And so then I was like, okay, it's like too close to home for me to, I don't know. I couldn't like detach myself from it emotionally. So then I just kind of sat back, but now I feel like I'm at my prime or better than ever. So I feel like I might actually turn that into a TV show. Cause yeah, just like reading it. I think I read it like last month and I was like, damn, like it's just crazy that it came from, you know, a 21 year old kid. It was insane. So what year did you get out of the Navy? 2014 of November. And when did you start at Loyola? Um, August of 2016. So what'd you do for those two years? So as soon as I got out, um, oof, that was such a difficult time. I remember, oh God. <laughs> so as soon as I got out, right, I had a job. So Sam's club was like, Hey, you know, we'll keep a job for you. Um, if you join the military, it's always, always open to you. So I was like, all right, that could be cool as I transition, right? Get out of the military, have a part-time job and then go to school. So then I started working at Sam's club and I was just miserable. Like everyone there was there four years ago, nothing changed. And it just kind of made me feel like sick. And I was like, Oh God, like I didn't do these deployments and almost die just to be where I started. Right. Were you doing the bodybuilding or the fitness competitions at this point? No, I was, um, I was still very into fitness. That was like, I think fitness is like interchangeable with writing as far as like what you always go back to. Yeah. Yeah. Helping me out. So that was really depressing. Then I got a divorce. So that, that should have happened a long time ago. So then I was going through that, had this job. Um, and then she like, cleaned out my bank accounts, this whole financial situation. So that was miserable. Had to move back in with my parents who I haven't seen since what my sister died in 2009. So five years before, and it was just like rock bottom. Like I, I don't think I've ever been more depressed. And then even so it's like my ex-wife, you know, was mutual friends with all my mutual friends and they all sided with her because she was able to have a relationship with them the last four years where I wasn't. So I was just like, Ooh, it was tough. So I think fitness really got me through um, because, oh yeah. And then I couldn't get into any colleges because it's too late to register for the spring semester since I got out in December. So then I had to kill time. So, um, yeah, I got in, I got a job as a personal trainer at a 24 hour fitness and then just was like dedicated to that and just invested all my time. And just, it was like the perfect distraction until I got into school in the summer. And then it was, yeah, it was just personal training in school. And that was good. Now, what was the experience like? Cause you, you've obviously been writing since you were younger, but, mm -hmm. it, but it was always just for your own personal benefit Yeah, to actually transition to a specific program in college towards TV or movie writing. What was the difference? You know, what, what experience or what did you find different about that style of writing? Um, good question. So organization, first of all, so before I would just write whatever's on my mind, but now I understand like, you know, character arcs and how, you know, all these different things that keep our attention and like what make people want to watch TV and care. And I know a lot of times in my personal work, I didn't hold back. I would just express emotions, the truth, stuff like that. But then in film school, you're writing and it's like a round table and everyone reads your stuff. And then when you show up to class, everyone gives you notes. So I was so afraid of being, I guess what everyone thought, I was so afraid of vulnerability of showing emotion and stuff like that. So my stuff was very rigid. It was very military-esque if you think about it. And so 
yeah, I that guess doesn't sound like it would make you a good writer. Not at all. Yeah, not at all. It um actually yeah hindered me from being a good writer. But once I once I was able to understand that and just be more authentic and real and raw and just kind of come out of my shell, then that's what makes you a good writer because it's all about authenticity. It's all about literally writing what you know, but you just gotta like change the names, dates, so you don't get sued, you know, stuff like that. So I had all these experiences, but I was just like afraid, I guess, of um, yeah, I was just afraid of actually telling them. I should say. Did you ever seek any type of professional counseling for? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, right out of the military. Oh, that's another thing too, is like getting out. So this is about transition. So that's the most difficult thing in the world. So leaving the military and then trying to sign up for the VA, right? So I was struggling. Like I tell you, that was a very difficult period in my life. And I showed up to the VA and they literally told me like, all right, cool. Register this paperwork. We'll go back to you in like five months. I was like, I need counseling. I need therapy like today. And they're like, all right, we'll go to the ER. Like not any help at all. It was like very, so then I like lost faith in the VA too. And I remember actually this, this didn't all help because all this stuff hurt me so bad. And I felt so jaded against the government and the military. So I remember my first student script was literally about a guy getting out and just facing all these obstacles. So that was, I guess that really helped me become a good writer. It was just like writing about the truth. Yeah. How long into the college program did you find yourself starting to change and get away from that rigid style writing and actually kind of open up and, and being vulnerable for no better term. Um, so it was like a three-year program and it was interesting cause I think my, my, yeah, my second year I was thriving because I was writing kind of something more funny and, and comedic and I got a lot of good feedback there. And then, oh yeah. And then I resorted back to like my, um, from my little fight era so I wrote a script on that and it just got demolished. And so I was like, okay. By your peers or your professors? Both. Yeah. Because I think, yeah, it's complicated. But then at the end of the year, I wrote something about um, my time in special forces training and it like blew everyone away. And um, to the point where one of my teachers pulled me outside of class and he's like, dude, this is really good. You need to develop it. So then I ended up submitting it to, um, there's this like foundation for the writers guild, which is where all the writers go. And then I got accepted into that as like a mentorship program for a whole year because of that piece. So I think, uh, yeah, yeah. It took a while. Um, it took a while. You have to be honestly, you have to be in a really good headspace. You have to have confidence to be a good writer and you ha you can't be afraid of being vulnerable because yeah, everyone will see it in your writing if you're like holding back or being fake or inauthentic or like, Oh, that person wouldn't do that. Like, why would that person do that? You know, people are afraid of like writing about like the dark things that happen or, you know, thoughts that people don't like the taboo, I should say. Yeah. How much difference is it writing a script as opposed to somebody who's writing a book? It's essentially the same thing. I would say a script is just a very concise version of a book. So like a book, you talk about smells, tastes, you talk about, you just go into huge descriptions and then some words, you know, a script, you're just summarizing everything or you're just like the meat and potatoes, essentially like the very minimum and a book's just a lot of fluff. Yeah. As far as somebody who's, who's got an interest in writing, if they're thinking about 
going down this path. Is college a requirement to get into the script writing industry or can you get into it? No. Um, yeah, I know everyone I went to school with, all these kids, like, they're not, their degrees mean nothing, essentially. I know people who have written scripts and submitted them to festivals and won, and they're way better off career-wise than, like, anyone I know in school. So, in hindsight, would you do it differently? Would you have gone to school or would you not go to school? Honestly, I'm glad I did because I, you, like, learn through failure, right? So, I'm like, I showed up to school and then I just see that it was like, I don't know, it's kind of frustrating and motivating at the same time. Like I learned so much, but not necessarily in my, in the schooling. Like for example, everyone in that school comes from parents who are in the industry and they just basically want the credentials because they already got hookups. You know, they can get them a job in the networks and doing all sorts of things. So they didn't really have to work. They just had to show that they went to school for it. So, and then especially there is like, I had like, I remember it was almost like a competition. Well, everything's a competition. And um, I would just try to like be the best in all my classes. And I know for a fact, like based on the feedback, I pretty much was. So it taught me, it was kind of hopeless at first. At first it was like, oh, unless you have money or association, um, you're not going to make it in the industry. And then, so I kind of, I don't know, it was very hopeless. But in the end of the day, I was like, oh, well, you know, no one can really, like money and association can never really beat story, like a good experience or stuff like that. So you'll see all these movies and everything are based off of people who just have a really good story and then, you know, write about it and then it gets picked up by networks and then stuff like that. So at the end of the day, it's just about having a good story to tell. And you started out with Tyra Banks as an intern and then moved up to a scriptwriter. Yeah, it was... um. I was an executive assistant for like the CEO of her model land. She was like the founder. So she was essentially making all the calls, but we're talking like six people starting and I was one of them. And then, yeah. So then after that, after five weeks, I got moved to, I did everything. So basically model land is based off of this novel she wrote. So I had to read that. It's like it's a huge novel. I think it's like four or 500 pages, break down all the characters, figure out what's working, figure out what's not. Then I made scripts for, you know, the graphic novel. Um, we made scripts for television, um, all her marketing, pretty much anything written about modeling that's public facing was me because I had to make sure everything was consistent. So press releases, website, copy, social media. Um, we had a master script for, cause we had all these live actors and dancers within modeling itself. So I had to write all that, oversee all of it keep a detailed log of all the characters, their arcs, their association with others. It's like, uh, you know, Harry Potter, you know, there's like the teachers and then the students and then the parents and all that. It was pretty much the same thing. Model Land is like an academy. So keeping track of all that, all the rules of the organization, it was literally, I built the whole world. Like it was a lot of work. And you're doing this all in, in word format. You, it's all written out for somebody to be able to read. So they, mm -hmm. you're basically building the scenario. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yep. All word format. Yeah, pretty much. What are you doing today? Oh, goodness. Um, nowadays, I do a lot. <laughs> like, I don't even know where to get started. You're, so, but you've, you've, what I'm trying to get at is you've left not left. You do more production now as opposed to script writing. 
Yes. Well, I still, I still primarily, that's like my main job as a writer, but see for Tyra, it was like, I did all this stuff, but it was behind the scenes. And so I was just like, oh, cool. Like no credit. And at first that again, hopeless, right? It's like, cause I don't have a name. I don't have riches and I don't have associations. So I'm a nobody, even though I'm creating the story. So then I was really mad about that whole situation um, in February when I was let go due to the whole COVID thing. And then uh, I got a job in the industry also working on this TV show that was coming out as like a producer, stuff like that. Same situation happened. I put in all this groundwork. I was promised all this stuff. I didn't really get credit. I was like, all right, that sucks. So then um, this year actually is when everything really took off is I got, I was one of the leads for a TV show, reality TV show. I was producing the celebrity talk show, I guess last year and this year. Um, And then, yeah, so that, so through these people, I met other people and now I work press, but through this press agency, it's not only in my writing press, but I'm ghostwriting books, movies, songs, all this stuff for like celebrities, clients, brands, businesses. So I've done commercials for brands, um, million dollar brands. I've done website copy for million dollar brands. I've written three books. Um, I think three of your own books or you've ghostwritten ghostwritten. This is all ghostwritten. So here's, I'm getting to a point here. (laughs) So, um, nowadays it's like, I've, I did this research maybe like two months ago and I was like, okay, I've literally ghostwritten like 80 press releases, you know, on Forbes, people magazine, like huge, huge networks, Yahoo. And then these books, you know, for clients who are arguably some of the most famous people, um, today. And, uh, I was just like, I need to start doing my own thing. Cause I can't really advertise this stuff. Right. Cause clients would get upset. So I started making, I'm, I'm writing a novel for myself right now. I have a, and then I'm making like a musical movie, which is fun. So I started making music. Um, but each of my songs, I have a music video with it and they all lead into the next. So it's literally going to be a movie, but this musical movie takes place after my novel. So I already have like two pieces there. Um, yeah. And then I have a, I have a web series of, um, a little podcast I started last year. So right now I'm just organizing all my original work and using that to advertise since I can't really advertise all there. So if, if somebody was to do ghostwriting work, mm-hmm. they don't get any credit unless the, whoever's name is on the, the work credits them. Yeah. Which never happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's like, here's what they'll do. They'll say, oh, ghostwrite this for me. So you have a huge celebrity. Let's let's say The Rock, for example, right? So then you write this book for The Rock and then he might say like, oh, I'm going to give credit for the writing to this author because he's a multimillion, like, you know, huge bestseller author. So it's not only are you ghostwriting for this client, but then they choose. And it's the same thing in the in the movie industry too. It's like, you'll write this amazing script. Like, all right, thanks. They'll buy it and then give it to another writer who has, you know, a reputation. So if you had a choice, would you want to go back to script writing or do you want to keep doing your own? Pl- I don't want to call it a play your own development <laughs> of your, your own book and that type stuff. You know, what's your, what has more of your interest? My own uh, original content, just because it's funny because I'll, I'll write something for a celebrity or something and they'll take off and get all this credit and stuff. And I'm like, okay, cool. So like, I know hundred percent I'm capable of getting the public's interest and thriving. So that's why I'm just waiting for my stuff to take off because I'm like, I already know. Yeah. Like I already know it's quality. I should say, because it's proven. 
So, and then it's just fun too, because I don't really have to tailor that to anyone. It's just my own original stuff. So a lot of times I hold back or try to like, you know, tailor it to them. And so now it's like my own stuff. I'm just having fun with it and it's great. Do you have a particular genre that you, you mentioned a musical component, but is there a specific (laughs) genre to your type of writing or what you want to produce? Yeah. Um, Ooh, I don't know. I really appreciate it all because like my novel is more of kind of like a drama. I would say it's like, I always tell people it's like a modern day Forrest Gump, um, which is huge. Like, (laughs) (laughs) um, and then my music's hip hop, but it's funny. Like I try to have fun with it. Um, but then I even have like dramatic pieces I've, I've written just to throw in there, just to show range. Um, so I guess for me, for writing is it really depends on my mood. Cause like you can't force creativity. You have to be in a right creative headspace. And this is important. A lot of people, especially in the corporate world, don't see that and understand it. And so if I'm feeling like angry one day, I'll channel that and then write like some savage hip hop song. But if I'm feeling like sad, I'm like, Oh, why am I sad? And then reflect on it, write about it. And that's more like poetry or like some dramatic, like short film. And then, um, yeah, if I'm feeling like fun or funny, you know, I'll write something funny. So it's like any mood I'm in, I just channel that into different pieces. So I'm not really limited to anything. Now you mentioned music. Are you, do you play music or instruments? Not really. I just kind of sing or rap. So it's more the lyric side of music. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously I perform my own stuff, my own stunts. Um, but I, I'm actually getting into, I just learned how to actually make songs and like use all the instruments. And like, I picked that up so fast. So I've been doing that a lot too. So optimally, like, yeah, I just, I ghostwrite these, these news articles and these TV shows and do this stuff for money. But then at the end of the day, I invest it all into myself. Can somebody make a living as, as a ghostwriter? Oh, hundred percent. A qual, yeah. a, I mean, a, a quality living. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing too in the entertainment industry is like you might sell something like for example, a script. If you sell a script right now, I think the minimum that people can buy it for is $67,000 or something. Don't quote me on that. But last time I checked in film school, so literally you get $67,000. I mean, granted you have a, like a lawyer and a manager that's like 30% gone, but still, and then you have your name out there. So then it's easier to get jobs and you can constantly do that. And then royalties too, if you get royalties in your contract. So there's that, um, ghostwriting these news articles. I mean, you can make a living if it's consistent. I would say probably like, yeah, maybe even one a day, one article a day, which is nothing. You could, yeah, you can make a living off that. Now, do you have to be with a company that provides ghostwriting service or can you do it as an independent? You can do it as an independent. So I have my own LLC, but I also work for um, a production company. It's kind of Vito Glazers, Glazers Media. So he primarily gets all these clients and then comes, yeah. But even as a ghostwriter, you still need to have a manager and an agent? No, not at all. It just helps. Um, I would say it helps to have a lawyer. I don't have a lawyer. I don't have a manager because I just like to do everything myself. But it helps if you're doing like high-end contracts and you want to make sure that you're not getting screwed over and you you're getting compensated fairly. So yeah, you'd need a lawyer, but managers, I mean, managers, essentially that's what my, my guy Vito is doing for me is just getting clients, getting work. I should say. 
So it's one of those, I would imagine it's one of those things that getting in is the hardest part, but once you get a name established, then obviously more work starts coming your way. Yeah. It's just like, uh, it's so hard. It's that, it's like that paradox nowadays. It's like people don't want to hire you unless you have an experience, but then you can't get experience because no one will hire you. So it's like, it's so difficult. Yeah. It's almost like designed for you to fail and only like the rich and established can succeed. So again, very hopeless out there in the industry, but yeah, you just keep hammering away and eventually get somewhere. For somebody who's not in the entertainment business, what is the difference between a producer and a director? Um, they can almost be interchangeable. I would say a director basically takes the script and everything. He, he just has this vision and he makes sure it's executed properly on set. The producer is more like um, organizing. So the producer will hire the camera crew, the director, essentially, the unless he's already put on the project. The, he just oversees everything. So the producer is more like organizing, director is more like executing. And then usually the director and producer will kind of be in the editing room and try to make sure everything goes accordingly to plan too. Do you ever think when you were a kid, you'd end up being in the entertainment industry as a writer? No, not at all. Yeah. I remember growing up, I was really into uh, performing and like acting. Um, and then I was so insecure for for the longest time, like literally until like the last few years. And it always, it hindered everything. Cause I would just like be awkward and literally on TV, you have to be as authentic as possible. And so then, uh, yeah, I never, I never thought my writing would get anywhere. It's kind of, it kind of blows my mind sometimes. It like makes me laugh. I was like, it's just hilarious that you'd see my stuff or read my stuff and know it was me, you know? What's your holy grail as far as your future? Is it is it staying with writing? Is it going towards more acting? Yeah, so my holy grail, which, fingers crossed, it's already in the works. So this musical movie I'd, I've been doing for like, just to kind of build hype for my book. But then my book has already got the attention of my friend. She's an executive producer and she already wants to make it into a movie. She believes in it 100%. I've, I've outlined it to her and she's like, dude, this is amazing. She's already jumped on it. She already put it on IMDb that she's working on it. So Holy Grail would be to finish the book, drop that, make it into a movie, and then I guess work on my next musical movie. Um, or just run with that. Maybe make a TV show, do something. All I want to do is just like write, produce, and act in my own stuff. Because nowadays it's like all my friends are in entertainment. Like I have a really good friend who's an amazing camera guy. And this other guy, he's like an aspiring director. He's 21, but every job I'm on, I'll hire him on because I just think he's amazing. He's brilliant. Um, and then my other friends, like a fashion or a yeah, wardrobe stylist, beauty designer, I forget the proper term, but like literally all my friends are in the industry. So being able to write something and produce it and fund them all to work on their passions together to create something is like a dream come true. Yeah, like I even just helped my friend. She's uh, she's called the bridal queen of Los Angeles. She's huge, right? And she wanted to make a fashion film. So I hired my friend um, and we like, I wrote it, kind of produced it, sat down with her and we filmed it. And it's, um, we got connections in Cannes Film Festival. So it's going to be in Cannes Film Festival next, next year. So that's super exciting. Um, lots of just, yeah, it's just fun. It's literally it doesn't even feel like work. That, isn't that what they always say though if you you don't work a day or if you do something you love you're actually never working yeah exactly yeah and i just saw you know it's weird as i was writing a press release last night 
and I was watching this article about this guy who's a tattoo artist who's now a musician. And he said something, he's like, you know, it's just our type of people. He's like, we don't want to work. So we just create. And then eventually if your art funds you, it's like a dream come true. And I was like, oh, that's so true. Like, like that's just literally a dream come true. Like, yeah. So when you sit down to, to write, are you old school pen and paper or are you type on nah, a computer? Type. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely type. So, but I mean, Yep. I type. (laughs) I haven't done pen and paper since the military actually on deployment because I didn't have a laptop. So when you sit down to write, are you thinking from a script perspective or are you thinking from a book perspective first? Um, oof, it depends. I know like lately nowadays when I write, it's just strictly a scene. I just like take this emotion or this feeling I have and then create a scene. Um, but as for my novel, it's like, you have to be structured, you have to be smart about it, especially in, in scripts too. So it's like, you don't want to write 20 pages and then there's no payoff there. Like there's no end goal. You don't know how it ends or anything like that. So it's like, there's a lot of organization before, I guess, yeah, I treat it the same way. A book and a script is you break it down. You always need to have the end in mind. That's like the most important thing. A lot of people just have a cool beginning and then it dies out. So you always want to know how it ends and then kind of, I kind of work, work backwards, but um, yeah. And then I'll break it down. There's like act structures, like you want tension, you want conflict, you want, you know, the middle of the book, there should be a twist. There's like some slight rules there that like very industry kind of standard, um, just make it your own. So then once it's broken down, it's like, yeah, first it's like pen and paper. I literally get like a giant whiteboard and just draw and it looks like a mess. And then I'll organize it by chapters and then I'll break out the chapters in like a paragraph or maybe a page, optimally a page. And then just kind of like an overview of what that chapter is going to address. Yeah. Like the goal, I should say. So, and then they all have to tie into each other. So that's another thing with writing scripts is like, if you show a gun, the gun has to shoot. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you can't really introduce because scripts are so concise. You can't really introduce anything that doesn't have a payoff. So if there's like a random pan of the camera to a picture, that picture has to have relevance. Like every little thing has to make sense. And people don't even realize that. So scripts are like very lean, very, very lean versions of a novel, I should say. So it almost sounds like they're they're in a way more difficult to write than say writing a book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 100%. Because I've I never went to school for writing novels. I never, I mean, I've read a lot. Um, which helps. But I remember for, for my novel, I spent what, was it, like three days and I wrote like 50 pages. Whereas a week doing 15 pages of a script is ambitious because they would, they would say like, we would need 15 pages in film school and then give you a week. Stressful. Most people didn't even complete it. They'd get like 10, 11. So, um, is yeah. it because you're building up so much backstory, but in limited form? I mean, what makes it more difficult is what I'm getting at. Um, I would say, like, what's the purpose? Like, let's say we write a scene, like this scene right here. So you have to establish the whole room. You have to explain the whole room as concisely as possible. Let's say like three sentences max. Um, but like every little detail is important. Like probably mentioned this, the camera, the lighting, sounds, just something that would, you know, pay off later. And then the dialogue, each word has to make sense. Like we can't just like back and forth, kind of just like pointless banter. It has to, like if I said something, 
literally has to have meaning about the present situation, the future, foreshadowing, stuff like that. So it's just, uh, and then it also has to be entertaining too. So it's like you have to follow all these rules, but then somehow capture the audience's attention. So like you can be dialed in and follow the rules, but you're boring. You know what I'm saying? It's like just because you're right doesn't mean you're interesting. So, So just like writing a book, you always have to have the end goal in mind. I would imagine maybe for script writing, you don't necessarily need to know the end of the story, but you at least need to be able to tie directly into the next scene. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so it, having an idea of where you have to get to is always the key point for your writing. Yeah. And then also being subtle, right? So you can't like make it obvious or you have to, yeah, it's, you gotta be smart, I should say. Have you had a mentor through this process? Um, you know, in film school, we had some, I had some wonderful teachers. They're great. They all had like scripts out there. And then, um, when I got into the writer's guild, that was a game changer. So have you ever seen hand, handmade tale? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Kira Snyder, like the writer producer, she's incredible. She was one of my mentors for a year. I'll just leave that there. Like that's a huge flex. Um, yeah. And then I had this writer producer for the show empire when it was like blowing up. Um, another one for Jack Ryan, um, I had this guy who was like a I see, FBI interrogator for like 20 something years. He's like brilliant. And now he's a writer. He's like making mad movies. Um, so I had, yeah, an, inc- an incredible team of five um, mentors, just very well established people. So they helped me out a lot. Did um, you meet them through school or through work? It was like a... It was like a program held for veterans that they do every year. And so you apply for it. And then if you get admitted, then you go through the training uh, for a year. What's that veteran program through? Ooh, um, I got to get you the information. It's uh, it's literally called the Veterans Guild Association. Or sorry, yeah, Writers Guild Association, like veteran. I'll get you the details later. So it's... Just for clarification, though, it's not through the co- it's not through Loyola. It's, nope. it's through the Writers Guild. Yes, but it's directly for veterans. Veterans, hundred percent. Yeah, that's a amazing resource for you. I'll get that for you ASAP. But they do it every year. Um, it's a year long, and then at the very end, the last week, you actually pitch your project to a bunch of producers, and then they can, if they like it, yeah, they if, can buy it. If somebody was interested in applying for this. Mm-hmm give me the condensed short version of what they could expect through this year long process. Um, first of all, does it require in-person attendance? Yes. Yeah. So it's in LA, it's in the writer's guild. So like Beverly Hills. Um, yeah, I think you do like a, an orientation first weekend. So two days, just like meet and greet. But the good thing with this thing is you don't have to have any experience as a writer. Again, you just have to have a story. So for me, you know, I came in all cocky. I went to this one of the best film schools, double major, and now I'm working for Tyra Banks. Um, but then some people in my class, you know, like they never even take a screenwriting class. They just work in the industry and know scripts or they read a lot of scripts and stuff like that. So you don't need any experience. They literally start from the ground up. I will say having a general knowledge and understanding will help 100%. Otherwise, it's just very difficult because you're working with the industry's top starting from nothing. Um, but yeah, like every week it's very gradual. So it's gradual until it's not actually, it's like a whole learning process. It's very simple, very fun. And then it's like, they just pound on the work. So you're talking like, I think you write a whole movie in the last, yeah, a whole movie in like the last three, four months, but building up to that, you're just kind of establishing the characters and the plots and all that. 
And then at the very end, you're literally pitching it to all these directors and producers. Now, is this an individual project or are you doing a collaboration project with every other student in the program? Nope. Um, it's all individual, but you're, you're split into groups. I forget how many, there's a lot. There's like a hundred people in our class, I should say, but they're all broken down into like five or six. So it's like pretty much an instructor or mentor per student. And then you're just in groups and, um, yeah, so you just write, I don't know, a certain amount of pages a week, pitch it to the email, everyone reads it, gives notes, constructive criticism, so you're getting lots of great feedback, yeah, which is huge. Now, you mentioned the Screenwriters Guild. Does mm-hmm. somebody, to write f- in the TV and movie industry, do they have to be a member of the Screenwriters Guild? Um, can you ask that again? Sorry. So if somebody's interested in writing for, they don't want to be an author and write books. They want to write for TVs or movies, so they want to write scripts. Mm-hmm. Do they have to become a member of the Screenwriters Guild? No, not at all. So the Screenwriters Guild is more like if you establish yourself and sell something, then you can be in. It's almost like a membership. So like you have to actually prove yourself first. So even for me, well, I'm sure I could apply. It's just more difficult because my stuff's ghostwritten. But yeah, it's like it's like a membership thing. You got to pay to get in. You got to have proven work, stuff like that. So it's great. I mean, they offer a lot of benefits. It's a wonderful community. It's obviously the best thing you can do as a writer, but you got to. So you're learn. not a member of it currently? No, I haven't even looked into it though, <laughs> to be fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What would be the advantage for you as a writer if you were to get into there? I would say if I, if I got a job, um, regular jobs like a TV writer or I sold a script, then I would do it. But for now, it's like ghostwriting and like right now I'm writing a novel in my shorts. I'm like, there's not really a need. It's just like additional work for, for really nothing. Like I wouldn't take advantage of any of the benefits, I should say. Does becoming a full-time writer for TV, does it, does it ever get to a point or do you see it from, what, from your experience where it actually becomes a detriment to a writer in the sense that they don't enjoy writing anymore because it's not fulfilling? Does that kind of make sense? I could see that. Um, I could see that 100%. And a mean, lot. Of, what's your experience from people who have been in it for years? Do you see that? Yeah, it's uh, very frustrating because it's like, you know, you want to be authentic. So sometimes you tell very personal stories as fiction. And then, you know, some someone comes in and says like, oh, this is trash. X's it out. We need to rewrite it. And it's like, I don't know. It's like, um, you're taking a piece of me. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, how do you be passionate about something? And then that's another thing too. Like, let's say your executive producer or directors are very stuck up or they don't really understand something. And it's like, obviously a lot about taste too. So you could be the best writer ever, but it's not in season. Right. So that's the thing with the, with the pitches for the writers guild association is like, we all had great scripts, but they're only looking for specific things, some trendy things, some things that they could sell. They were interested in. So that's another thing too, is like, it's so hard. It's so hard to make it, but yeah, it's like, um, a lot of times as a TV writer, you're writing for other people. So you almost need to, to develop a sense of understanding what's wanted as opposed to what you want to write. Yeah. That makes sense. You have to have your finger on the pulse of society. You have to be very cognizant of trends, what's going on, stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. It's almost like you have to be at the right time, right place with the right script, right idea, right story. Yeah. So what if, so going back and and kind of encapsulating this, if somebody's got an interest in writing, Mm -hmm. they want to get into the, the T 
TV and movie industry. Yeah. What would be your advice from, from walking to, to running? I mean, where do they start? What do they like need to getting do? Getting out of, of the military? Anybody. Starting that? Yeah, yeah. Let's, I mean, granted the, the audience for this podcast ideally is military and law mm-hmm. enforcement, but you know, this is something for anybody. If, if you've got an interest, you, you like to write. Yeah. I would say one, start out with just the basic books. There's so many out there, just basic screenwriting and then learn. Um, I'll even give you some details. There's this thing called the ADAC structure, right? That's the only book you need for now, for starters. And then just write. And a lot of times I realize with writers, they're perfectionists. So they'll work on the same script for a year, two years, five years, 10 years, whatever. And they won't work on anything new. But my advice would just be write a script, move on, write a script, move on, write a script, move on. And then at the time, like, so this is another thing too in the industry is if someone's like, oh, I really want a script on, you know, bodybuilding. Be like, oh, cool. I wrote, I wrote one like four years ago and be like, you could bring it up, mention it. And then if they really like it, you can go back, revise it, fine tune it and send it in. But a lot of thing with writers is they'll send like their little coup de grace, right? Their whole life story into one. They're obsessed about it. They're just so into it, like their heart and souls into it. And then they pitch it and no one's interested and then they give up and they're like, oh, this is the greatest story in the world and no one's interested. So they just stop. But it's like, you just need to keep writing and writing, right? Cause you're only going to get better. And whatever story you thought was the best, there's probably a better one coming up. So as a writer, uh, another thing too is, is like, this is probably not the best advice. It always gets me in trouble. But my, my little mantra is like, do the thing that's most fun to write about because everything you write about is based off experience. So, and it's so obvious when something's inauthentic, like we see it on TV all the time. We're like, that would never happen. That's phony, you know? So you have to have a really good base of experiences so you can fill every hole. So like if someone's sad, be like, oh, what, what just happened the other day that was sad? That's kind of subtle. So you can pull from that, change names and stuff like that. So as a writer, I would suggest just going out, um, having fun, (laughs) like meeting new people, trying new things, experimenting new things, writing about it, writing about how you feel, really understanding people too. That's a huge thing is like understanding people and their character motivations. And it's cool because I don't know, like, I think that's one of my specialties is um, I could tell a lot from a person within like five minutes of meeting them. Just like, and it's great because I'm like, oh, they're like this because of this, this, this. I can give a whole backstory. And that's what you need to have. Like, you need to really understand people, why they are the way they are, why they do the things they do. Um, I think that's it. I guess the best advice as a writer would be to have a good story too but have amazing characters. So this is like the number one thing they preached was just having characters who are very relatable, yet animated, yet entertaining that we connect with. Like example, like Breaking Bad, you know, like those two characters, the leads are just so recognizable and understandable. Even Walt's kid, you know, Oh, I met him. I actually interviewed (laughs) him. He's great. Um, But you're like, there's, you just know who they are. You understand them. You can relate to them. And it's just very human. So um, having a very good understanding of people, creating amazing characters. You don't want your character to be boring at all. And then also embrace lies and faults. That's another thing as a writer is a lot of people will write characters who are perfect. Mr. Like save the world and stuff like that, but nobody cares. But if like this guy's like Superman, but he has this huge drug addiction or he like runs a brothel, you're like, oh, whoa, like why? You know, it's way more intriguing. So you want to definitely like play into faults, play into lies, play into imperfections, stray away from perfect because it's not authentic. Um, but yeah, 
I guess, understanding people and just having really good characters and then creating a story from there. Now, going back to what you said, though, you mentioned somebody coming out of the military. Mm-hmm. Is somebody coming into this world from the military going to be pigeonholed? Or like, they, oh, we just want you to write about the, mil- the military. Um, basically, yeah. I ran into that. Yeah, because it's like the only script that really took off was um, the one I wrote about Special Forces. But now it's like the stuff I write about is not military related at all, but it's probably more successful. It's more relatable. But I think the reason for that is because the military, not many people know about it. It's very niche. So if you write about it well, it's different. It's foreign. People are intrigued and they're interested. So again, like start with that. Start about your military experiences. Start um, something you really know and understand. And you always want to capture emotion. You always want to get people to care because without emotion, without depth, like it's superficial. No one cares. Would it be easy to transition away from that? Or, or yeah. how do you avoid getting pigeonholed? I would say, um, I would say just time. Like, yeah, if you really all right. So if you're in the military, but you're also very knowledgeable about like, I don't know, fixing up cars or like racing, right? You could write about that. You just have to literally write about something you really know and then just kind of like not play into the whole military thing. I just think starting out as a writer for me, using my military experiences worked very well because it was something I knew well and it was something I could write well that not many people knew. So it was very original and unique, which made me stand out. That's another thing too, is like don't write about something that everyone's doing. It's like you have to have a very different and unique story that stands out so or tell the same story but from a different aspect because the flip side to that is isn't it about the flavor of the month and they want scripts that are talking about oh 100 yeah exactly so as long as it's unique right so what's trending today like biden (laughs) like covid covid right yeah you can make a story i actually did this so when covid hit i made a a short it never went anywhere but we wrote it. Um, and it was about basically this guy who went on vacation and then got stranded in Wuhan. And then this was right before COVID broke out. And so he had like inside information and then everyone was after him. So that's kind of cool. Um, but again, yeah, it's like taking advantage of that, but giving it a unique twist. Like you might, Oh, probably won't get away with making that a comedy now, but you know, maybe in a few years you could. (laughs) Yeah. So 100%. If somebody sits down and writes a script, Mm -hmm. but they have no connections, where do they need to go to get that submitted? Gosh, there's a, there's a bunch of sources online, like competitions, but then again, it's a competition. You got thousands of writers. So that's difficult. I would say try it, like submit them to all. And then if you don't win, try harder and keep writing new stuff, submit more. Like if you're really passionate about writing, just don't stop until something connects. Like that's what, you know, I guess that's how you, can you submit a, can you submit a script directly to Fox for instance? They won't read it. Oh yeah. So as an intern, I interned for a bunch of people as, um, you'd get connections, right? The producer, the director would have a friend of a friend or stuff like that. Get a direct email, submit scripts. So then these interns, they literally read, I don't know, like two, three, as many scripts a day as possible and then rewrite coverage on it. And it's usually like pass fail, literally. And most of them are fail. And especially as like a film school student, which all these interns are, it's generally a fail because they're so critical. They're like, all right, not original, um, boring, 
you know, like horribly written, you know, I think I, yeah, I interned for two years. You would think somebody submitting a written script would not write horribly, (laughs) but I guess I'm wrong. You would be surprised. You know, some people think they're funny or whatever, but I don't know, maybe, maybe I was too harsh, but I think, yeah, over the two years, I think I approved or actually generally liked four scripts and literally three of those went into production. Like they were already for sure going to be made. So, um, yeah, it's tough. It's very competitive and yeah. Is there, are there companies that you could get employed with or at least help you be that bridge or middleman? Um, I would say the best, not that I know of, I'm sure there is, but I would say interning for these companies is your best bet of ever getting anyone to read your stuff. But even so, like I've interned for like five months and then I was like, Hey, like I have a project and like, Oh, that's great. It's like, Oh, you're not even going to read it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, well, you got to figure too that that person's probably being told, Hey, I've got a script a thousand times a day. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, shoot. I know there's a VME veterans in media and entertainment, huge resource, which I also haven't been utilizing, which I should, <laughs> but it's like an online web series or web-based thing where, um, people can go hire veterans. It's like a job board. They give information. They do like web seminars. It's just great for veterans. But again, it's like, that's my thing too, is like, I love it. I love the community, but I also don't want to be restricted. I don't want to be hired as like a veteran writer. I don't want to be, it's like pigeonholed. So I just, I like being uh, diverse and I don't know, but it is a great resource. I should definitely utilize it more. I just haven't updated it in a while. It's just, I mean, it, it's a good, it's a good jump off point. It sounds Huge, like. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. There's a bunch of organizations. I mean, I've tried a little bit of everything, um, but it's just, uh, it's, oh, you have to be resilient. You have to be resilient because I always wanted to write scripts and TV and then it went from Tyra to writing like everything. And then I was writing reality TV and then now I'm writing like press releases and like a novel. So it's like, you have to be very fluid. Wait a minute. You're saying that reality TV is scripted. It's not real. Oh, oh <laughs> Lord. So it's like you walk into a room, you're like, all right, you're mad at her for this reason. Bring it up. All right, cool. So it's like, cause you have to have conflict. That's another thing too. Is like any situation, there has to be like two people fighting for something and one person wins. There's always a winner. So like anytime you watch anything, just remember that. Like, and then if, if no one wins, just remember how boring it is. This is like a thing on reality TV show. When people meet, it's just like, all right, cool. It's establishing. Yeah, you're, bur- you're burst in the bubble. Cause people watch those shows and think it's all legit. Oh no, not at all. <laughs> it's so staged, especially like put a camera on anybody and see how different they ask act. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's a little phony. Yeah. Or they'll tell you to say the most outrageous things or highlight a part of your character you don't really want. And it's just, yeah. Are you enjoying the acting aspect of it? I love it so much. It's so much fun because, yeah, it's just, yeah. It took me a long time from being so rigid and like, you know, standing at attention and not moving to being able to be loose and just express yourself. So that was a, That was a learning curve, but now it's like fun because I'm just like writing, producing and acting in my own stuff. And just like, that's the thing too, is having fun. Like you have to have fun. You have to enjoy it. And it shows even in scripts, if you're miserable writing a script, people can literally read that. But if you're like literally laughing, having a good time, enjoying it, like people will actually feel that too. 
So loving what you do and having a passion for it is key to authenticity, I think. Yeah. So that's got to be a hard balance to maintain because at one hand, I need to write this because this is my livelihood. This is my job. I may not like the topic. I may not like the characters, but I have to write it. Yeah. But at the same token, don't let that disinterest come out in your writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, (laughs) it's a lot. It's tricky. So anything last minute or just kind of wrapping up that uh, advice you would give to somebody who's a fledgling, fledgling writer and um, just keep writing. <laughs> yeah. One word at a time. Don't stop. Like keep learning too. So, um, you know, like some people, even in these instructors in school, right. They'll preach and harp and all these rules and everything, but they haven't sold anything since like 1976. You know, it's like, Things are constantly changing. You never know what's going to hit. Keep learning, have an open mind and just don't stop or get discouraged, which is so easy. Like, yeah, it's very, very hopeless, but uh, yeah, just eventually you'll find a niche. You'll find something that really resonates with the public and then just ride that out as long as you can. And uh, yeah, I guess last piece of advice I got told this a lot is I was like, why isn't my stuff it's like working for the public or like my celebrity clients, but not myself. And then um, I was told by someone in the industry, like that's because you write for yourself and not for them, but celebrities can afford to write for themselves, but you can't. And that was like the most depressing piece of information ever, but it's true. So I guess like you kind of have to kind of have to just give the public what they want at first until you establish yourself. Yeah. So Put your ego, per se, mm-hmm. a little bit on the back seat. 100%. Develop a little bit of thick skin because people are going to critique the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. But don't stop doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it also does help, too. If you're writing for the public, you're like, oh, I can care less about this piece. So if people hate it, you're like, that's what you wanted, whatever. So it does help if you're a little detached. Yeah. But I wouldn't imagine all the time, though. Not all the time. No, no. Yeah. And do you write every day? Or do you try um, to? Yeah, I try to. I actually, um, even just random phrases or funny things, I have like this ongoing notes in my phone. It's huge. <laughs> so I'll just pull from that occasionally if something's funny or like powerful. Um, still writing my novel. I started this year working on that music. I've been working. I think I started releasing songs in July and I have four music videos out, five songs out. Um, and then press, I do probably like one or two or three a day. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's always something new. Always something different. So there's never a day where you're just not writing. There's always something that has to be written. Yeah. I mean, even social media captions like require some kind of creative thought, you know, or yeah. So yeah, I think that was another piece of good information from some Mentors, they say, just like force yourself to write every day, even if it's like just you talking by yourself or your day, because eventually you're going to get in the habit of, you know, organizing your thoughts better and figuring things out. So I think that's huge. It's like with anything, like just the more you do it, the better you'll get. It's simple as it sounds. So if anybody should have any more specific questions, can they reach out to you? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Um, yeah, my my email is instarutis at gmail.com. It's I-N-S-T-A-R-U-T-I-S at gmail.com. That's my business email. But yeah, uh, feel free. I have no problem 
helping people out. I'll put the email in the show notes. I appreciate it. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Oh, thank you, Paul. I appreciate you. Thank you for taking your time to listen to the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed it. Not only is the podcast available on audio platforms, but you can also watch it on YouTube at the Transition Drill Podcast channel. Please subscribe for future episodes. The best way you can help the show is by getting the word out. If you think somebody else might enjoy it, I would appreciate it if you would share it with them. Also, if you have the time, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a rating. I welcome your feedback, both positive and negative. You can also go to the website, transitiondrillpodcast.com, and through the contact tab, send a message directly to my email with any comments or suggestions. Thank you again, and I hope you tune in for the next one.